On this episode of Dear Teenage Conservatives, I talk about the midterm elections in 2022 and why and how teens should get involved in these elections and discuss some races happening in the country in the House and the Senate that we should stay focused on. All that coming up on this episode of Dear Teenage Conservatives. About uh, three months ago, I think, uh, the GOP... Committee let out a list of congressional seats that they wanted to compete for or try to hold in the 2022 midterm elections. And when I was going through some of them, a lot of them were in very Democrat states that I noticed. But one seat took me by surprise when I was going through the list. And I had to look up uh, some history about the seat to completely understand why the GOP would be pumping their money for the midterms into this one congressional seat. And it's New York's 25th congressional district. So New York's 25th congressional is in upstate New York. It's Rochester, New York, in between Buffalo and Syracuse. And it's roughly the size of the county, Monroe County, which is uh, the city Rochester's inside of this county. And when I was looking up research of the county, I was very shocked that Republicans are making such a move for this area for the midterms. So when I was going through the history of it, it was pretty strange because for probably about 30 years, this district was controlled by a Democrat, Louise Slaughter, very respected um, in Congress in her district. She was more moderate at the end of her term, she was getting older, and then uh, she passed away in, I think it was 2016 or 2017, and then Joe Morelli, a more progressive Democrat, came out and took over the seat, and he took over. The seat's been very Democrat for a while. The closest election, I think, that I seen was in 2014. Uh, it was out 51 to to 49% in favor of the Democrats. So the Democrats barely won that election year. Just by a little bit, Republicans had a chance. But I was wondering, this seat has been won with 60, up to 70% vote uh, in the percentile levels for 30 years. Why are Republicans looking at this now? So I looked at some of the numbers in this congressional seat. This one congressional seat, New York's 25th Congressional District. In this past election, Republicans got the most votes ever in the uh, the district when they were trying to run. And it shocked me because in this area that's been Democrat for so long, Republicans are starting to pick up votes. And they're gaining independent voters, especially in the district. And still, Democrats won. It was about 60 to 40%. So it's not like... Republicans were very close in this election, but still it makes me wonder if we got that close, what's going to happen in the midterms when Democratic, uh, the Democratic Party's uh, registered voters, their turnout was very low? Because in previous years, uh, Democrat turnout was always low. It's mostly young people, and the people that show up are usually older conservatives or older Democrats when it comes to midterms because it's not presidential and there's not a lot of media coverage leading up to these elections. So something that surprised me. 
is that when we look at the specific seat, Republicans put it on the list. They put it on their pretty much target list. So who is going to be taking over in this congressional campaign? Who's going to be the candidate? And I think who's going to be the candidate in many races across the country, not just in New York's 25th, but in Connecticut, in uh, uh, the Midwest, where you have these very conservative areas where there's one or two Democrat seats that Republicans are now going to be fighting for. I want to know the game plan. Because in New York's 25th, where it's a very Democrat area, where Democrats have reigned over and taken control for so long, what is the political climate going to look like? Are Republicans going to run a very conservative, very uh, more, more uh, right candidate when it comes to the political spectrum? Are they going to make sure that they keep those Republican values in line? Or when it comes to these Democratic areas... Are they going to have more moderate Republicans? I mean, I looked at one of the candidates for uh, New York's 25th that ran in 2020, and it was uh, George Mitras. And he, by on the political compass map of Republicans in Congress right now, was very moderate. He was very moderate on um, some social policies. He was very economically conservative. And I'm wondering if Republicans are going to be dumping all this money into these races because they are looking for very socially moderate Republicans while still keeping uh, these Republican and conservative economic policies. And I'm wondering if this might be the new tactic that Republicans are going to use or if we're going to use this Trump-age conservative, more right era candidates that are going to try to take over these seats. It's very interesting when we look at this. And even when we look at other states, or even if we look at gubernatorial elections, let's not even talk about House and Senate. I said I was going to focus on that this episode. But if we look at uh, even New York's gubernatorial election, we have uh, Lee Zeldin, who is uh, he's more of a conservative Republican. I mean, he's not super far right and he's not very moderate. He's just a, a Republican and he's running and he's gain, gaining steam uh, across the state. Uh, upstate New York, uh, specifically, he's doing very well in when it comes to conservative Republican voters and independents. Um, I think he's got 85% uh, backing from Republican chairs in New York State. So it's very interesting my main point with this is, are we going to see an ideological change in the Republican Party in these midterms? Or are they going to stay conservative? Are they going to stay safe with their races and go with candidates that they know are going to uphold a lot of these Republican social programs and values? And if not, I think it's going to be a very interesting uh, election season. And I'm very excited to see what the outcome is going to be uh, in a little over uh, a year when next, uh, next year, November, election time rolls around. But to tie this back into more young and teenage conservatives, I think with young people specifically getting out, not even just teenagers, getting involved in the political process and volunteering for these Republicans, 
that they agree with it and they think that uh, these Republicans are going to help their community with certain policies. I think we're going to see a, a big shift in party loyalty among young people because it's it's no secret that young people specifically are very uh, Democrat leaning. There are still Republicans in certain areas, but Democrats have kind of taken over the landscape politically. And if Republicans do run more moderate uh, or more progressive uh, social platforms for their candidates in 2022, I think you're going to be you're going to be seeing a big shift from Democratic voters among young people and teenagers to Republican voters. And not only is that good for the party, uh, but that's good for the political climate in general. I've said for a while, if everybody thought the same thing, this country would be boring. <laughs> I mean, we would have no political discourse or discussions uh, thinking in the future having innovative ideas, we would all be the same. That's not something we want. Having a broader uh, scale of ideas and having a broader scale of people with different political ideologies is good for civic discussion because you're able to have different social program ideas. You're able to have different economic ideas. And in certain areas, such as New York's 25th, if you had a Republican, this could possibly, if the rest of the country gained steam with the Republican Party, this could create these new uh, programs that are trying to help uh, with Republicans specifically advocating for tax cuts, uh, trying to have more fiscal conservatism when it comes to the government, which spurs uh, small business growth. In New York's 25th Congressional, they've had very large businesses there. They've had Xerox, they've had uh, Kodak, they've had Bausch & Lomb. These huge companies that took over the 20th century that were leading the way in their fields of science and technology and uh, all these different fields. And now, they, since the 1990s, they've dropped off because of this Democrat control. And specifically, because of these bad democratic policies that have increased taxes on uh, richer corporations. And this is the thing that people fail to understand when we talk about uh, taxing the rich. If you tax the rich too much, that is in turn going to want them to keep more money at the top. The CEOs, the people that own the company, the managers. So who's going to be affected by that as the top is keeping their regular level of wages, the bottom part of the company, the middle-class workers, the people that are putting in their time at Kodak, at Bausch & Lomb, at Xerox, that are building these machines, helping build film for cameras at Kodak, they're going to be affected negatively. Not the people at the top, like they try to say. Middle-class people. Because here's the thing, and I think it was Margaret Thatcher that said this, if you tax the rich... The rich get poorer and the poor get poorer. And if you tax uh, middle class people, the poor will just get poorer. The rich will, will stay the same. They will stay at their economic level. Because, like I said before, the rich aren't go they know how to get away with the uh, tax system. Tax system, and this is also the thing that I want to bring up. The tax system for this very wealthy, what Democrats call elite 
was made by Democrats. Democrat senators and Democrat congressmen and congresswomen made these tax codes so that wealthy corporations could get less taxes because they were getting campaign contributions from the, from these people. I think it's very hypocritical that the Democrats keep talking about taxing the rich uh, because a lot of Democrats are rich. If they want to tax the rich, then why are they not going to uh, give their fair share? Because like we've seen this past year, Republicans, I've seen in elections, I feel like, across the country, that Republicans are, there's a lot of Republicans being elected specifically, that are middle class or upper middle class that are just trying to make a difference for their community because they've felt themselves the impact of these bad economic policies. And this is going to affect young people for years and years to come. Because what happens now cannot necessarily be erased in a two-year term. It's going to take five, ten years to switch these policies that Democrats have enshrined in our tax system, in our legal system, that have almost screwed the middle class and lower class people out of their money. And this led to many economic crises in the past, and it's going to cause economic crises in the future. I mean, don't want to beat a dead horse. So all I'll end that part of the uh, discussion is, is that if Republicans lower the taxes on richer companies or corporate tax rates, then that is going to help the workforce in general. Um, Another thing that I've seen um, in national politics is this overwhelming struggle to try to get the extreme um, far right of the Republican Party and the extreme far left of the Democrat Party. They're trying to compete right now in this ideological culture war over whose policies are better when I think most people are in the middle of this uh, political uh, compass or political ideology map where a lot of them are thinking to themselves, I'm not necessarily a a super far-right Republican that believes in these extreme beliefs, and I'm also not a super far-left Democrat that believes in uh, democratic socialism and taxing a lot of these rich companies. So as long as we get candidates that obviously are still unique in their party identity, but come together and are able to compromise on certain things, such as taxes, such as different social policies, then the country will be in a much better place in 2024 politically, where it's not such a toxic political environment for when we elect our next president. And I think a lot of older politicians need to remember right now that, sure, teenagers right now like me, like I'm 15, we couldn't vote in 2022, or we can't, we couldn't vote in 2020 for our presidential election. But in 2024, a new generation of people are going to be able to get out and vote and make these changes that we want to see in the world by electing people that we see fit. 
And there's going to become a point where politicians need to see what younger people want and what their interests are. So we don't get to a place like we did uh, in, in 2020 where it was such a toxic political environment. And we need to promote unity when it comes to our elections. We still need to have civil discourse and we need to talk about when a, a side or a certain party is wrong. But we still need to, at the end of the day, remember, we are all Americans. We're all people. We all have, uh, under the Constitution, the right to liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Uh, we all are able to achieve the American dream. And once we figure that out and we come to terms with that, we as a country will be in a much better place. And people will be in a much better place to vote and make political decisions not based on emotion and not based on fear, but based on results of what we want to see in the world. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Dear Teenage Conservatives. I took a little bit of a break because school was starting and I kind of wanted to focus on my grades, but I'm glad I can make another podcast. I'm going to try, try <laughs> to upload more frequently, but yeah, I'll try to see what news comes up with in the next couple of weeks and try to make a podcast on that. So thank you all for listening. And this is me signing off.